Hello, and welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we discuss an oft-forgotten installment in a franchise and see if you should check it out for yourself. I'm one of your hosts, Corey, and in the words of a character played by a man named Texas Battle, that is the actor's name, that rules. Hey, if you ever have to come to my funeral, man, bring me a PSP or something. At least I'll have something to do then. Isn't that one of your quotes? Didn't you say yeah, that didn't to you us? Say that? I ghost wrote that. Well, you... They did approach me for the movie. I know you're a big PSP guy. And I said I couldn't be in the movie, but I would love to ghost write some lines. They went with just the one. That makes sense. Because I had heard that you've been known to be seen at funerals looking at pictures of Camille Bell on, on, PSP. on your PSP. Yeah. It uplifts the room. I don't know why we're making a big deal well, out of it. I heard that when the writing process, when you were ghostwriting it, you were pushing harder for that PSP line to be a bit more um, explicit. I, in the sense Specific. Specific. Not explicit. Well, I think you may have had a game of telephone here a little bit. Specific, but I think I don't know who your sources in its are. Explicitness. I'll, I'm, I won't comment on that. Fair. And at least give me a PSP loaded with images of Camille Bell or something. It, it was never loaded with images. That was that was the internet searching that was happening. I hate starting an episode like this, just putting me directly in a sewer. And also calling back to previous episodes. If anyone that is I new, don't care about. If anyone's new, you'll have to listen to our When a Stranger Calls episodes for full context. Yeah, we need footnotes now. And with me, I've got Liam. I am alive and I don't care. And Mitch. In the words of Kevin, fuck you, Ben Franklin. I, what did I tell you, dude? What did I tell you, man? What did I tell you? I mean, you told us both. What I did believe. You tell? No, I put. I sent it just to you. It was it just to me? The yeah. My quote's gonna be Ben Franklin. Yeah, yeah, I knew it was gonna be Ben Franklin related. It was gonna be that, or it was gonna be the one where he. Uh, I actually wrote it down because I was so convinced you were going to say it. Um, it's the part where he's like, "Ah, we have the the kite is aloft. Let's see if we get lightning." That was another. I wrote that one down. Yeah. but I figured. I fuck was you, so ben, sure. Fuck you, Ben Franklin's just more punchy. It's got some zip. Dare I say it has some zip and some pip as well. It's specific. It's explicit. It is. All it's missing is Camille Bell. As All this movie is thing. missing is Camille Bell. 2006? Where was she? I guess shooting when shooting a stranger when a calls. calls. I think Mary Elizabeth Winstead walked off the set of Black Christmas onto the That's set right. of this movie. Yeah, if she could have done both, why couldn't Camille Bell have done both? Yeah, she could have played the roller coaster. Easy opportunity. It's a voice role. You don't even need to like show up for that. You could do it from a studio. That's why Tony Todd did it, I suppose. Was Tony Todd the roller coaster voice? Yes. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Tony Todd because he's he's in the other movies. He is he. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. A, a big figure, but this one he just has. He's a huge out. figure in this one. He's roller coaster sized. Oh. Those are large. And he stays you on the tracks. Got way too comfortable far too early in the recording. Yeah, I'm of in this. a rocking chair right now. <laughs> you're looking like granddad. <laughs> Look like you're remembering the war of 1812. Can't um, forget it. So I've already sort of shown my hand a little bit in that I don't really know anything about the series of movies we're about to speak about. And you've shown that at the end of last episode? And also the beginning of this episode, I think. I'm mm. also in the dark on the franchise. I didn't know Tonathan Todathan was in this. I didn't. Know, mm. I don't know nothing from nobody, um, other than what you've said, Liam. So this was my pick, but it was sort of like vote by committee. It was almost like it was destiny. It, you like could, you had no choice in the matter. Well, here's what I'm going to say actually, and I I know I didn't really communicate this when we recorded, 
But as we were deciding, I did get a bit of a chill through the room. There was some fluttering, some drafting, you know, a little, bit of, a little bit of a shudder. Maybe there's a little something to that. Maybe it was not up to us if we were going to talk about Final Destination 3. Maybe it was up to something else. A cosmic force. A cosmic force. Force. So is that a reference to something? Do you know if that's a reference to something? I don't know. No. Uh, it just it? sounds like a general dramatic a quote. <laughs> I'm a fan of it. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, so here's what I'm going to say what I thought these movies were like, and then I'm going to ask Liam for help. Does that work for everybody? Sure. You thought they were road movies. I thought they were road movies. Really? I thought that they were all about... No, I didn't. <laughs> I thought they were all about getting to your like final it. destination. Um, Sometimes I, the journey beats the destination. I thought it was basically like the movie Hardcore Logo. Uh, for some reason, the first road movie I thought of <laughs> when prompted I, I, for a road movie. I haven't even heard of that. Now, I love road movies. It's like a 90s Canadian movie about a punk band oh. like in a tour van shooting a thing. You'd that probably like really it. really cool. Yeah, it's pretty up your alley, actually. Cool. Was that a Tommy Buzz joint? Ooh, sorry, what's the title? Hardcore Logo? It might have been. Is it the Buzzman? I, I think th- I think I've seen it, actually. Yeah, I remember liking it. Buzzman, like I you watched guys it. watched it in university class? Yeah. Yeah, Canadian cinema class. Yeah. He actually uh, gave me an exception so that I didn't take the first half of Canadian cinema, and he let me take the second half. What a man. What a man. What a man. What a man. You know, like that. Um, shout out to, uh, you know what? He knows who he is. <laughs> he knows. He knows. Um, so I genuinely thought that these movies were without explanation. Things start happening to people just sort of out of nowhere. What kind of things? Like d- deaths. So you knew that part. I knew that people were dying in like, in, in like extremely unlikely ways. I did not n- know the degree to which there was actually like first of all i didn't know that there was premonitions at all i didn't know that like she sees it and then tries to stop it and then it persists with the knowledge that you are going to die i thought it's just people just started dying um i thought there was more to it i thought that there was like more to behind this cosmic force and they had written more behind it like right. i and i actually thought there was less to it mm-hmm. yeah somehow so when i was saying I, guess I, didn't, I didn't get the appeal then though because i was like it's just like it's like a kill montage in my head yeah so when i was saying like this one is the roller coaster one next one is the racetrack one what did you think that meant because i'm describing like the opening people die premonition on a roller coaster, scene people, but i didn't know they were premonitions i just assumed like those were the first deaths of the movie oh but you didn't realize like, premonitionless Right. Like it, that was just the set p- or not even necessarily the beginning, but like that's the big set piece one. Oh, and I was just basing it largely off of that where it's like, like obviously the final destination three poster has the roller coaster on the poster. So I'd be like, yeah, people would call that the roller coaster one, mm. etc. Um, Like, I don't, I don't even know if I could tell you which one is like the log truck one, but I know people know that one. Yeah, that's two. That's two. That's two. But even then, the log truck is like a, a cool death in a greater thing. Like that, that premonition is just all about like it's just like a traffic accident, like a, a it's a, one a element pile of a larger. Up. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Does that's the one that sticks just like a normal disease in this franchise. No, don't think so. Wouldn't be very cinematic. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> I had a premonition that 
in 80 years. <laughs> I'm going to pass of an un... Of natural causes. Of natural causes. <laughs> oh, fuck. We've um, got to stop this. So, yeah, I didn't know because, like, from the outside looking in, it's just deaths unprompted. And I would have assumed, like, if it were supernatural, I would have anticipated the presence of, like, a ghost or, like, a demon or something. Or some mysterious person. And I wasn't aware of any of that. Yeah. Holding the marionette in the sky and, and that also, you can direct. there's kind of... There, well, I know we'll get to this, but like, there isn't really that. No, and and there there hasn't been. Like, it's just like I guess, yeah. Like, can you tell us? Like, is it just basically like they personify death a bit because somebody has a vision? Is that like all it is? Yep. Not all it is, but yeah, is that like yeah. the gist of it? Yeah, every time. So we're five movies in at this point, and thus far, the franchise has not done that typical franchise thing where it's like. Uh, after a few movies it was delved jigsaw. into like the backstory, the origins, where did this evil come from? How okay. does it work? We don't do that. Yeah. It's just every, every single one is basically a premonition setup and then uh, trying to save a group of people who are dying throughout the movie. And they're not singular films. And you can tell from watching this one, like they'll call back to each other and be like, Oh, this has happened before. This is, this is weird. Yeah, This one does specifically point that out, but it doesn't, it doesn't really go beyond that. Uh, it is really just death is like this abstract right. thing. It would be like if Friday the 13th two happened and like Jason is a guy and he's killing people and they made Friday the 13th three and it was a different camp with a different guy. But somebody said, oh, at this other camp, a guy started killing people there, too. But it was a different guy. And this one, Jason's just like a cosmic swift or like a, a right. Or Jason's a dude named Derek this time. <laughs> and it's not Jason and they're not related. No, he's it's a, just he's a, a guy. Who he'd kills. be a, a cosmic stiff breeze. You know, that would be Jason. That was the happening. Yeah. yeah. Talk about a cosmic stiff breeze. Can you make a drink called a cosmic stiff breeze? Yeah, absolutely. What would you put in that? Oh, I definitely want like it would need a twist. It would need a lemon. twist. I'd want something to have it like partially blue. I'd probably put like, uh, oh, I could make us a cosmic stiff breeze if I just made the ice cubes in the monade out of like butterfly pee, uh, pea. It's like flour. Um, and you put it, you steep it in water, and then you like strain it out, and it turns the water blue, but it's like flavorless. And then. If you just had like blue, got food coloring for blue ice cubes in the monade, that would and, be and as it as it bleeds like into like the, the purple v- color, it would turn like violet and all sorts of crazy. Yeah, that would be a visual uh, masterpiece. It would be. You I'll think make you us, I'll make us that, that next week? Next time we revisit the franchise, yeah. Next Stay tuned week? for visuals. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting. I feel like no, I can't think of other horror franchises that have it in them to just say it's happening we're not going to tell you why ever like i feel like at in other series at some point even if they play coy earlier on at some point you give the game up. it's too tempting to start overwriting your sequels i think right like you'd yeah. be like bagul did it or yeah, like and the then you start did it. developing like the Bagul metaverse yeah. or universe. <laughs> the Bagul metaverse. <laughs> Yo. The Bagulixy. <laughs> so that's, I don't know, it's interesting. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to me that this managed to slip you by and like this whole time. I sort of famously have a lot of notable things slip me by and then I'm weirdly aware of niche things. Right, yeah. Um, um yeah but it's a great hook for a movie it's isn't so it? good yeah 
It's this, also crazy. That, I'm sorry for cutting you off. It's also just crazy that that didn't get made until like the late 90s. Yeah, it was originally a spec script for an X-File episode. Oh. Yeah. That would've... He was a huge X-Files fan. That's how he wrote it. And he uh, became pen pals with um, uh, the producer who ended up making this movie as a kid. And... Uh, yeah. Like the writer was a kid? Well, he's probably like a teenager, a young teenager. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. That's crazy. I feel like stuff's not getting made like that anymore. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't think of... I can't think of many things. Um, that was just that was sort of the that that Dude, time into the for mic, horror. you coward. There you go. Sorry, sorry, Liam. That was sort sort of that time for horror where like people were just taking shots. Like Halloween Six was written by a fan of that franchise. Um, was it taking shots, or were the studios just like, "Yeah, we're out of ideas. Just give it to whoever." I think it's taking shots, like especially with Final Destination. You're putting a decent amount of money behind a script written by some someone who hasn't written a movie before. Yeah. Quickly, were you guys X Files viewers? No, I think I would really. <laughs> I think I would really like it, but uh, just uh, I never picked it up. But I do. I really like Monster of the Week type shows. Like I love Supernatural and Buffy. So I, th- I bet if I was a bit older, maybe I would have caught it. Yeah. Can I interest you in Mortal Kombat Conquest? It's kind of a. It's more of a Monster of the Week show than you'd think. Wow. Just the monsters are like ninjas. Right. Someday we should watch like an episode of that, I think. Crossover. Yeah. I'm sure Neil is down. I'm sure Neil's like his ears perked up in Florida. Like the episode's not even out yet. He just heard that. He heard this right now as we say it. Um He felt the breeze. He felt a breeze. It's fate. Um but you know, it's cool. It's a really interesting idea. It's much more compelling than I initially thought, because I didn't really get it at first. I mm-hmm. earnestly believed that it was just like we contrived an excuse to shoot a bunch of elaborate kill scenes and that's ultimately true but the conceit being so <laughs> slight is actually much more interesting yeah than obviously it's better than no conceit but it's better still than being like yeah it's like the bagulixy is expanding mm-hmm. um did you know the hook of the movie did you know that was the premise no i didn't um i i thought that yeah, there was, i'm looking rocks. at mitch by the way that's i, I thought that there was much more to it like some sort of cloaked mysterious figure who's pulling all the strings in the background who you can direct it to right because because with the enemy seemingly just being fate or i guess like a maybe a slightly more motivated fate um there's nothing that you can really do to escape it it's a it's a faceless enemy and i thought that there was some there was more to it and that the characters were working together to try and stop it in a way but in this case they're merely running and prolonging the inevitable it does seem that way right that's kind of the fun of these movies is every time the characters think that they can Mm -hmm. they can cheat it as if it's a person and then it seems like it doesn't work at least it didn't seem to work in this movie it's a very um cruel mindset for your movie to have. very dark very dark films yeah, very real in, in a you way. You can I mean, do nothing. You can and never, You are doomed. But that's really just life. Well, sure, but like, but it's not yeah. as dramatic. That's, Every, a, that's the whole point. Pick, give me a, like a typical horror movie that ends on that note, right? Like, it's relatively rare. Yeah. Like, I don't even like were the two thousands just particularly cruelly minded or what? Like, I, I wonder. Th- I wonder why it came out of then, when the conceit. You could have done that at any point. 
Yeah, I think um, I've heard about other other movies and and shows that did a similar thing. Like I think there's a Twilight Zone episode that has a similar concept, and there's a movie from the '80s called Soul Survivor that is sort of similar. Um, so maybe it there's comes flatliners. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe it comes from like uh, growing up on like. 50s 60s comic books you know where they always had like yeah. dark you know they like got amazing twist stories endings. or whatever um and the 2000s definitely were nihilistic but not in what the first one came out in the year 2000 and i don't think things were all that dark by that point yeah so. well i feel like the y2k ish term like everything felt in my recollection we were young children obviously but like the pop culture seems so like bubbly and so like like neon and like translucent plastic computers and like fucking yeah people i think pop. i think by the end of the 90s though people were starting to get over it like 1999 uh i think is one of the coolest and darkest years in film where you have stuff like fight club american beauty stuff that's just like yeah pulling back the curtain and being like oh this stuff that we thought was, yeah. Yeah, was a lot cool of cynical kind dark. of cinema in 1999 1998 right but doesn't i i, I guess i just find it because like these movies would have got made like through the 2000s into what the early 2010s yeah the last one came out in the early 2010s and i feel like that window of time though like i don't recall it as being particularly grim in pop culture I mean, Saw is running the game all throughout the yeah, 2000s. Yeah, you know what? I think I think maybe I'm thinking about this the wrong way because I think it was, but it, it, it played out in ways different than what I'm picturing in my head because I'm thinking, like, purely in terms of, like, the thing that we're saying is negative. But, like, the some, like, yeah, like, the torture porn subgenre of horror post, like... I guess that was like that basically dovetailed exactly with like the war in Iraq. Yeah. And like just that grim like got a recession in there. too. Yeah. Like this is a cudgel and nothing is good. And these people are in nightmares. I guess it does actually. I think it tracks dovetails exactly with that. And I think it walks an interesting line because these are dark movies thematically. This idea that you can't escape death, but they are also fun popcorn movies. These are campy. Yeah, they know what they're they know what they are, in that they have to juxtapose like that core tenet with how inherently goofy a lot of this looks when you actually do it. Yeah, um, so I think it's kind of a breath of fresh air when compared to the Saw movies. Both movies revolve around gory uh, kill scenes, but um, you know Final what? Destination is wrapped up in a bit more fun. Didn't Cube come out around this time too? Yeah, Cube was 98. That feels conceptually 99. adjacent to all of these things. I think somebody might get out of the Cube, but a lot of people don't get out of the Cube. Uh, or, or the Hyper Cube. Yeah, a lot of um, people end up in that Cube. Yeah. <laughs> the Bagulixy Cube. The Bagulixy Cube. Dude, I've got to pick a movie at the, for the end of this, and I thought I had it picked, and you guys are bringing Bagul up so much <laughs> that I might have to change my pick. Do I have to meet Bagul? Maybe. Meet the Bagul. Because I was, I was honestly... <laughs> Uh, in my head, I've been going. Bugockers. I've been going. I've been going back and forth between two movies, and one of them was the Bagul movie. So also, really quick, I don't remember which one it is, so I'm gonna try to guess. In my head, it is either Insidious or Sinister, and I don't know. <laughs> I, I think it's no better idea. if you don't know. 
<laughs> you don't want me to guess? I'm going to guess. Guess. And then like, just don't tell me if I'm guess. right. Maybe tell me at the end of the show whether you pick it or not if I'm right. I think... Well, no, I wanted to say Insidious. Just say it. I wanted to say Insidious, but I feel like if they've made five Insidious movies and I don't hear that much about Bagul, then I might be wrong. Right, but if they've made five <laughs> Insidious movies, who have you heard about that amount of times? Bagul, I guess. So then what's your guess? I No, I'm, I'm saying like I'm willing to lock in Insidious, but I think I might be... Sitting here right now, I've decided I might be wrong. It's a 50-50. Just say one yeah, of, of the other. Of course you might you. be wrong if it's a 50-50. Yes, confirmed Insidious. That's what I said. Okay. Okay. God, get off my fucking... Leave me alone, Dad. <laughs> you're specific in sometimes and in other ways you're not. Okay. That's all people, all the time. Sometimes you're a monade and sometimes you're a cosmic stagnant breeze or whatever we said stiff wind what do we say <laughs> a Cos- cosmic stiff breeze cosmic st- okay, i was close i was so close dude my ability to retain information questionable that that was 10 minutes ago <laughs> couldn't get it right but you remembered before we started recording you remembered the name of the the main dude in this movie that was impressive i did do that it's it's it's, it's weird it's weird stuff i did remember owning a psp which i think is you know notable I I should expect you would remember those are formative <laughs> memories. Do you guys ever know anybody who had a PSP Go? No, I've never even heard of that. The PSP Go is like it's even smaller, and you slid it up like a phone. Oh yes, I did know. And people then it who had, had a that. little. It had the buttons under the yeah, screen. Yeah, I remember that. Kid on the bus had that. Just weird to me. Just a weird device. That's all. I guess it doesn't really know, matter. Cell phone. Why, why would you too? want that? The pictures of Camille Bell are going to be way smaller. Squint. Man, I'm never living this one down, am I? <laughs> Why did I say this on a podcast <laughs> where you guys can bring it up all the time? And then why did you pick a movie where PSPs well, are brought I had no up? way of knowing. I didn't know that uh, our guy, f- football man, was going to be into gaming. I think you could, it was a safe bet. This came out the same year as When a Stranger Calls, peak PSP era. <laughs> well, no, because even I don't think my PSP era was even right now. No, it must have been. I get no. Hang on, it was close to this, but the big tell will be when did the movie Ten Thousand BC come out? Two thousand, two thousand eight. Two thousand eight. Okay, so it was a little late. How did you know that immediately? I did some Camille Bell research in my days. Yeah, well. I'm willing to bet. Um, Camille Bell, if you want, come on the show. I think that'd be fun. We do it in person now. Yeah. So if you if you think the thought of being in the room with these the people having this conversation is intriguing to you, <laughs> you can do that. Um, do we want to pivot to talk about a different person that we've talked about a lot on this show and do a cast and crew discussion starting yes. with a uh, friend of the show, Mary Elizabeth Winstead? Yes. I'll get to her in a second. Lifetime. The role of a lifetime. I'm going to actually do the crew first. I, I always do that, but I needed a segue in there somewhere. You look perplexed. I, I, I mean, I was perplexed. just Because it was cl- a clunky segue? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I just want to make sure it wasn't I, like I, a... I, I always make that face when you do your segues, but, would, but this no. is your first time. So. Yeah, it's been... Uh, it is worth underscoring. I don't know if we have any podcast that was recorded before like four months ago. Could not see anybody ever. Yeah. We had no gauge of how people reacted to anything other than verbally. So this has been a very an interesting experience. 
Yeah. I mean, I think way less than four months ago we started doing this. In person? In person? What was the first in person one? No, no I would have been... Four months ago is January. Jean Vier. What was the first in person movie we did? I have we did, no we did idea. Breathless and then... Was it Breathless? First one? No. Breathless was a lot more recent than four months. Yeah. Well, wrong again. <laughs> and four months ago is more like January. That's it? what I said. January. Oh. What do you think I said? February. Nah. Check the tape. I said January. Because I said Janvier. <laughs> oh, maybe I'd, my French <laughs> is just bad, perhaps. I said it in English first. Yeah, and you. Two official that English word was February. I disagree. Somebody check the tape. If I'm right, uh, Liam's track has been cut out of the rest of the episode. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you won't know what he's going to say at all. Um, so, crew, we have James Wong in the director's chair, who uh, you will know from uh, The One starring Jet Li. Which I know is a fan favorite of a lot of people's because apparently that movie's fucking wild. It is wild. Yeah, I have yeah. not, not scoped it. I watched it with a friend of the show, Brogo. Oh my oh, gosh, wild. dude! There is a. Uh, Doesn't he fight like a hundred guys? Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. There are two disturbed, down with the sickness needle drops in that movie. Separate ones. Yeah. Of the same song. The first one, uh, it hits and then it comes back right at the end. Dude, that But owns. dude, the first hit Is of, so of Disturbed with, Oh my gosh. It changed my life. <laughs> That's so fucking cool. He also directed um the first Final Destination. He did, yeah. And Dragon Ball Evolution. A famously panned, nightmarishly bad film. Cool. Uh which is like we made an Amer- we made it a westernized live action Dragon Ball where Goku's played by a white guy, like, and they tried to like reskin it for like Western audiences. Just an absolute, just an absolute dog water film. Just a real tough scene. I have seen that dog water. It's not good. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to update my uh, my lexicon of five phrases. And he also, I mean, maybe you're going to get to this, but he he uh, wrote Black Christmas 2006, didn't he? I was going to get there. Oh, okay. But yes, he did. Mm-hmm. Alongside Glenn Morgan, mm-hmm. who also wrote The One, sorry, Jelly, and Black Christmas 2006 and Final Destination, a bunch of James Wong stuff. They appear to work together a lot. Yes, and they they were X-Files guys, so maybe that's Ooh. that's why they took to this material so well. Yeah, that would make they, sense. They directed and wrote for X-Files. Speaking of Black Christmas and Dragon Ball Evolution, uh, this movie's edited by Chris G. Willingham, who worked on Black Christmas 2006 and Dragon Ball Evolution. And also, uh, recently, a couple episodes of Yellowstone, your dad's favorite television show. <laughs> <laughs> The cinematography is by Robert McLaughlin, who shot Black Christmas 2006. Dude, um, I almost amazing. jumped out of my chair for and, a sec. Uh, also, the 2022 reboot of American Gigolo, which is a miniseries starring John I for, Bernthal. I forgot that exists. Everybody did. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Um, Ray Donovan, the television show Ray Donovan with Leif Shriver, mm. shot a whole bunch of that. A couple episodes of Game of Thrones, and also the one starring Jet Li. You notice I'm having a lot of fun here with the placement? Yeah. Pretty good time. Yeah. And then we've got Shirley Walker on the music. First Final Destination movie and the second one. And then gets credits later for like themes and stuff. Um, Child's Play 2. Great flick. Great flick. Escape from LA. 
um, a show called Space Above and Beyond that some of our previous folks have all worked on, Mm-mm. and Black Christmas 2006. Nice. So this is a full-on Black Christmas 2006 Dude. reunion, including certain cast members like yes. Mary Elizabeth Winstead yeah. and also other ones. Cool. Um, so Mary Elizabeth Winstead, we have talked about three times on this show, uh, including this one. 10 Cloverfield Lane, uh, The Thing. Oh, no, four times. 10 Cloverfield Lane. I forgot. Oh, oh what were you thinking? The Thing, Black Christmas, mm. and this. And then also 10 Cloverfield Lane. Yeah. Her hit rate is very good. Yeah, I like all those movies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's been, she's one of those actresses who when she's in something, I get interested. She's, and she's always given it all. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is cool. I believe my letterbox review of this movie is we as a society are so lucky to be alive when Mary Elizabeth Winstead is alive. I think that's what I wrote. That's basically what all the letterbox reviews say. I noticed. I didn't realize that she was, uh, she had become such a a presence that people are drawn to. She's like absolutely beloved. Um, and deserved, frankly. We've got Ryan Merriman. Dude, are you doing dishes? (laughs) You're being so loud. I'm getting the pot. <laughs> In the middle of the episode? This is this is the what we got to trade off by letting What the having fuck him are you talking about? Our house. His house. I'm getting the pie. We're recording a podcast. I don't even know what rhubarb is. I don't know if I want the pie. Do you want us to wait for you? No, if he did, he would he would have asked us to. Do you, don't you think we should? No. Or is this a bit in the episode now? Is this staying in? Yeah. I wouldn't say it's a bit. I just think <laughs> it's just the way things ought to go. Should this stay in? Yes, keep going. Yeah, Ryan Merriman. Ryan Merriman. <laughs> he plays Kevin. Can you hear me, Mitch? Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> His house isn't that big, everybody. He's, he's miles away. He's in the butler's courtyard. That's what they call the kitchen here. That's where the help works. That's what he says. Um, he's in The Ring, too, which is another movie that we should get to. Yes. Which I, Does that have Mary Elizabeth Winstead, too? Or is that... Am I th- confused? No, no, no. It's uh, Naomi Watts. He's easily confused. They definitely look the same. Yeah. No. Um, a Christmas movie Christmas. But not a Christmas story what? Christmas. What? A Christmas movie Christmas. Is there a colon in there? No. Okay. Um, wow. The Jurassic Games. Oh, what? that that's a parody movie. Yeah. Uh, Smart House, the Disney Channel original movie, Smart House. Um, we can't eat pie and record a podcast. Mitchell. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> Thank you, but this is so this is such a chaotic approach for you to take. Um, he's also uh, I'll wrap this one up. Pretty Little Liars. He was on a whole bunch of that. Nice. Um, Chris Lemke uh, plays Ian. He's in Ginger Snaps. He is. He, I gotta he, see that. He's movie. a yeah. He's a Canadian dude. Most of these people are Canadian. Yeah. It's yeah. Hmm. That uh, Alex Johnson plays Aaron. She's uh, got like a, a a currently ongoing and continuing award winning music career, uh, and was also in Reefer Madness the movie musical. Reefer Madness? Reefer like Madness. Like weed? Like weed. The movie musical. This is an audio podcast, Mitchell, if you please. 
but you're not going to say anything? He's learned from you talking about your PSP on air that he has to be careful about oh what he God. shares into the mic. You say one, you Google celebrities on a fucking PSP one time. A man shows his hospitality <laughs> and you strike it down. That's what a I man said, Mitch. you rhubarb pie. Mid recording. <laughs> well, you might get hungry. When hung- do you want me to eat it? <laughs> you might get hungry. I have to do all the talking right now. This is the casting crew part. Okay, we'll keep going. Well, I guess you can enjoy your pie. I guess later we'll eat while he's chatting. <laughs> Tell us when you want to trade off and you pick up your pie. Corey, we got Sam now. Easton as our boy Frankie Cheeks, the world's ultimate misogynist. He was in the butterfly effect. We've got uh, Jesse Moss as Jason. He's got eight bajillion credits. He's 142 credits. I don't recognize him. That's the... Yeah, he was also in Ginger Snaps, by the okay. way. Um, he was in Tucker and Dale versus Evil. The Magician's House 2. And I'm about to give you a credit. Folks, this might be the single wildest credit we've ever encountered. I mean this. And you've... Yeah, Sorry, I mean pie. pie. <laughs> <laughs> you've said that a few times, so that means that this must be... I, we just keep reaching new peaks. I genuinely think this is a peak. I'm actually going to pull up the description of this on my phone. Uh, just to make sure I get it right. So this movie... I'm going to do a slow build here if everybody's okay with that. I guess you don't have much choice. It gives you time to eat pie. So this movie stars two twins. Their names are Jonathan Jackson and Richard Lee Jackson. Uh, The antagonist is played by William Shatner. Holy shit. Um, It is uh, a 1996 direct-to- TV movie from the Hallmark Network, and it none of this sounds very wild. Is called The Prisoner of Zenda Inc. Huh? Like I N C. And it is about there are two teens. One of them is really good at baseball. One of them runs a multi-million-dollar corporation. That one is kidnapped. And okay. the baseball teen has to go replace the company running teen so they don't get taken over by, I think, William Shatner. So it's pretty much just like the Prisoner of Zenda it's plot. It's called the Prisoner of Zenda, Inc., dude. And it's about fucking teenagers playing baseball. And being... And William Shatner's in it. And I watched the trailer, and the trailer is fucking nuts. In the First role of, of all, a lifetime. On, William on video, it was released under the title Double Play. That's a That's way a better title. Good, way kid, better title. Kids wouldn't know what the hell the <laughs> Prisoner of the, Zenda the, is. That the, sounds like the, a that sounds like a the, concept the, title where it's like we love the Prisoner of Zenda. The the <laughs> the trailer frames it around like these two popular hot hunky guys are in this movie and it's about mistaken but like the whole framing like the trailer starts and it shows like you've seen them on the covers of all your favorite magazines and it's like a bunch of magazine images over the trailer. This is the real trailer. Like, the way they sell this movie, and then it's called The Prisoner of Zenda Incorporated. Why would it be called that? That's a lofty title. For it's, a- yeah, it's like a it's like a pitch title. Like, you'd yeah. go into a story why meeting. Why is it incorporated? Like, I know it's a business, oh, but... Oh, we like, have to watch the movie, Is I the guess. company called that? Yeah, Unclear. May- maybe they're like, I love this movie, The Prisoner of Zenda. Yeah, that, that book from the 1890s by Anthony Hart. I think that's who wrote it. I don't remember. Anthony Hope. Hope. 
It's not that far-fetched. Mitch would have started a Prisoner of Zenda, Inc. As a kid, I bet. I probably would have given it a better name. Dude, <laughs> this is insane. I just couldn't believe it. I was in awe of this. Yeah, man. maybe we do have to do that. I think we do have to do it. This is damn good pie. Thank you, yeah. It, I love a good strawberry rhubarb, right? Can somebody tell me what rhubarb is really fast? So it grows, it grows almost like a weed. It's like a... It's very tart on its own. Almost nobody eats it on its own. Um, it's usually eaten with sugar, and when you cook it down, a lot of the like the acidity in it kind of goes away, so it's less tart. The strawberry rhubarb pie, just think of it like a a bit more punchy strawberry pie with like a bit more acidity, um, slightly more sour, but like still very sweet. I've heard Corey does a lot of taste tests on his other podcast. I do actually. Be a first yeah. for this one. Yeah. Corey tastes rhubarb. Well, it's weird because I'm not a. Bi- I didn't know what rhubarb was, and I'm not a big strawberry guy. Like typically, that was pretty good though. It's a good pie. It was warmer than I thought it was going to be, even though you just took it out of the oven. Yeah, I left it in the oven. That's why I sprang up and delicious. Yeah. So I'd say you got up rather gingerly. Mm. You didn't seem like you were in much of a hurry. I sprang. I sprang out of my rocking chair. Spring has sprung. Do you want me to start reading your notes so you can enjoy this pie? Corey? Um, I'm okay. We're almost there. I, don't, I, I got it. Um, Gina Holden plays Carrie. She was in something called Assault on Station 33, which is like from 2021, which is bizarre. Does that count? No. <laughs> yeah, Do you know what does count? Saw 3D and Alien vs. Predator Requiem. She's also in those. And the Butterfly Effect 2. Texas Battle plays Lewis, the football guy. He is, you know how Bruce Willis up until very recently made a bunch of like direct to video trash action movies where we later learned that he was having lines fed to him in an earpiece because he was like basically unable to actually film them. He's in a bunch of those, like a lot of them. Like with Bruce Willis? Yes. He's in like five of them. Wow. Or something. Dude, maybe Bruce liked him. His apprentice. Yeah. And then, um, we have Chellen Simmons playing Ashley. Uh, she is in both Tucker and Dale versus Evil and John Tucker Must Die. That's a classic. Um, <laughs> that makes that makes it so that Tucker and Dale versus Evil counts on the podcast. <laughs> Why? Because it must be a sequel. Yeah, you're so right. Have you guys seen Tucker and Dale versus Evil? No, no. I am familiar with its bit, but uh, unlike this movie, yeah. No, I I. Uh, I get that it's like it's like a more straight ahead comedy, right? It is, yeah. 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 It's good. Um, but uh she was also in Good Luck Chuck, the first Percy Jackson movie, and Doctor Doolittle Three. Then we've got Crystal Lowe as Ashlyn. She was in Black Christmas two thousand six as well. Come on. And also, did you guys know there's a Benchwarmers two? No. You just, they made another one to me live on pod. Benchwarmers 2, Breaking Balls. I'm adding it right now. And it's about a guy who was going to be a professional baseball player, but he gets hit in the nuts so hard with a baseball, he has to stop playing, and then he joins a league for lawyers. You're full of shit. I'm not. John Lovitz is in it. Have you seen this? It sounds like you're very familiar. I just looked it up earlier so I could talk about it. All right. Well, if we ever spin the fateful Genero again and land on 299. Something tells me we might. Benchwarmers too. We might. Also, Poison Ivy, The Secret Society, and Wrong Turn 2. Ooh, Wrong Turn 2. This is the point in the list I uh, was under too much of a time crunch to get credits for people who had very minor roles. So we've also got Amanda Crew, Maggie Ma, 
Extasia Sanders, Patrick Gallagher, Andrew Francis, Corey Monteith. Oh yeah, from Glee, Glee, right? Poll for everybody. Right. I didn't notice him in the movie. I did not either. Dustin Milligan, Tony Todd, who is the voice of the devil and also the subway train. Yeah, and he's he's a significant character in the first two. Like he's an on-screen character. Yeah. And then we have a uh, Agam Darish and Dylan Basile, who were her friends at the end. So this movie's about what if you went on a roller coaster and you watched all your friends die, and then they did, but because you knew that they were all going to die and you have hints as to how. You can try to stop it, and then you try to stop it. Is that more or less accurate? I like how you're directing this at like at the listener in particular. Like, yeah. what if this happened to you? Has this ever happened to Though, you? I mean, maybe the movie sort of knew that Hi, this was... Hi, Billy Mays here! <laughs> <laughs> now that was you springing to your feet. Is there I'm a pie to, to get? tell you something about coasters. They roll, sometimes dangerously. Sometimes. Sometimes. Hi, <laughs> with the fucking OxyClean. <laughs> Do you ever get a propeller from an engine into the back of your brain and need to clean your dashboard before you pick up a hot date? OxyClean. He has a beautiful car for being a high school student. Yeah, but maybe it was like his dad's or he stole it or he's like uh, rich. <laughs> Those are the only three reasons you might have one. Maybe he saved up his hard-earned money that he earns being a misogynist <laughs> and uh, selling upskirt shots of his classmates on the internet um, or whatever weird shit he's doing. Um, really quick, um, there's no chance that a yearbook class would give somebody a digital camera that sucks that much, right? I know it was 2006, but we had like you wouldn't be able to we print the DSLRs. You wouldn't be able to print those photos. They'd be baby tiny small photos. Resolution wise? Are you out of your mind? That was like a two megapixel camera. I guarantee it. Unbelievable. It was the flash sound like a fucking bomb's going off. Anyway, does somebody uh, want to tell me how they felt about this movie so I can take a bite of this pie? So I think this movie, it's not the kind of movie that lends itself well to and deep analysis because if you do if you go too deep into it you risk overanalyzing it and then the whole thing falls apart it's not a movie that's meant to be enjoyed that way this movie is just I like thought you were gonna stop it this is not a movie that's meant to be enjoyed and i was gonna be like wow that is no, one no. of the more brutal it's, assessments we've it's, ever had. <laughs> it's a lot of fun like and so you just can't look too closely at at like everything that's going on in the background this movie is a movie about you know, it, it's suspenseful in the build-up to the kills in a in a way that's almost satisfying, and it satisfies like a Rube Gold, Goldberg machine. Rhubarb Goldberg. Rhubarb Goldberg. You know, <laughs> you familiar with it? Garlic Jones and Rhubarb Goldberg. They they flew together <laughs> in the war. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know, but like the the kills are, are so elaborate, they're almost like a Rube Goldberg machine, and you're waiting for the next one. And they're all done with like just a tier effects. Like I know it was like 2006, but like I don't know how much of it is done. It seems like it's mostly done practically, um, which definitely lends itself really well. Like these are some of some extraordinary um, practical effects. So. It's it's a really yeah, they actually killed that guy. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, it's it's a really fun movie, and uh, I definitely want to see more of the franchise. Uh, I I actually might watch the first one tonight when we're done. Oh, for real? Yeah. Damn, that's a pretty ringing endorsement. I really loved it. Like I thought, I had a lot of fun. Like I thought the scenes in between the kills were just kind of goofy, and I'm like, I'm not looking for much of a deep character build up and just like to really feel for these characters. And I think the film's not really interested in all of that too. It does have like a lot of, um, a lot of uh, like mystique and stuff in the, in the backgrounds. And then there's a lot of scenes of characters just like walking through high school and being like, who's next? Like we have to figure it out. Like blah, blah, blah. But um, it, uh, it really doesn't drag that much. It's pretty a pretty well-paced movie. You have like just everything else that's going on. I'm sorry, Corey's, Corey's documenting this. And I'm, well, I'm excuse not, me. not used to being on camera when I work. Um, yeah, it, it, uh, it's really good, man. That's, like, that's all I'm going to say. And we can, we can kind of pick it apart for now or for later. Pick it up. Yeah, pick it up. Pick it up. You guys like ska? You don't even know what ska is. You'll even ask the skill testing question and like you might not get your McDonald's prize, which is the only <laughs> instance I ever really encounter skill testing questions. Uh, Liam, can I make a guess here? I usually don't get to guess, but um, I'm going to guess that you've seen this movie a whole bunch of times. Am I on anything there? You're right. I, yeah, it seems like a slam dunk guess. Yeah, this was uh, this was the one that I had on DVD. Um, I think because when it came out in 2006, I was like right at the age where I was like hanging out with my friends by myself a lot and like running around neighborhoods and stuff kind of making an identity for myself at 10 years old and uh, so this was one that we got I guess maybe used from the video store or something and uh, just watched it a bunch and then I, I eventually caught up with the other two on cable they played on cable a lot and I actually uh, I wrote described video for the first one as well. Oh, that's um, awesome! So, I, cool. I, I so became, you've, you've actively contributed to somebody's viewing experience of Final Destination. Yeah, yeah. That's um, pretty cool. I've contributed to someone's death. Well, um, maybe that. Yeah, the first one is is really cool. <laughs> it, it made me have a whole new appreciation uh, for the for the conceit of these movies and then by the time the fourth movie came out i was old enough that i was going to see them in theaters so i saw the fourth and the and the fifth in theaters um but i've seen this one the most um but i haven't seen it in probably since before the fourth one came out like i think i watched it a lot and then the, 20 like 2009 i think there's the fifth one 2011 i think so yeah, yeah. is that and there's only five mm-hmm. feels like a give me to make another one of those they're doing it now, but yeah. why they I, wait a decade? I don't know. I have no clue. I think there should I guess be a it's lot more. The same more. thing as like the Nightmare on Elm Street thing, where it's just like, why didn't they just make more of those? Yeah, like it seems like a gimme. I think Freddy is just like you got. There's bigger stakes. There's a uh, um, sirloin rights going on, but Final Destination. Yeah, they should have just. They should have just done it. I'm very excited for for more of them because I really I really love this franchise and so watching this one uh, for the first time since becoming an adult I was pleased to find that I really like it I think the the fun in the these movies in this movie is is pretty contagious like I can tell that it would just be so cool to be a screenwriter writing this and coming up with the initial deaths yes very cool but then also this idea of like the characters trying to get ahead of it and in this 
movie, the new addition to the plot is this idea of the pictures kind of say cheese and die goosebumps. They hadn't done that before. Um, and I just, I, I really like that journey. I like the characters at the core of it. Um, I think it's a cool idea to have our our lead's boyfriend die at the beginning. I had forgotten that it was her boyfriend that died. And so your core group is not a boyfriend and a girlfriend, but it's a, it's a, a girl and um, a guy who she starts off saying that they're not even friends. They're like high school acquaintances. They're friends of friends. I think that's a, a really cool structure to base your movie on. And then you just have all these other characters bopping around and they get little bits of personality which i really like um and then of course when the death scenes hit which is what you're there for um i think they're really successful and fun in this movie um this is just such a unique concept where you know the kill is coming but you don't know from where and the movie is is sort of giving you hints but it's misleading you um which is like kind of what I love about the Scream movies, but in Scream, you got to wait the whole movie for the big reveal. In this movie, you kind of get a reveal every 10 minutes. Um, and I really like that about it. I would love this movie more. It would be more of an all-timer if some of the uh, the thrust of the character work was just a bit more fleshed out. Like, we get a villain turn at the end from Ian, and I would have liked if that were... Uh, telegraphed a bit more or if he he got more to do early on because i think his character sort of goes from uh being one way at the in the first half of the movie to being a totally different way and that doesn't feel super earned to me yeah it feels like they based it largely on the basis of this is our goth therefore they can make the turn because they're like dark and brooding and looking he kills pigeons with a nail gun Yes, yeah. That, yeah. That's yeah. That's sort of where you get the hint. And talk about the nail gun kill. Holy shit. Yeah. But anyway, keep, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. No, we can talk about all that stuff. Um, yeah. But I just I think this movie is just a lot of fun. I think it is a great addition to the franchise. I am also scared of roller coasters. Maybe this is where it started actually, because I was into roller coasters when I was a younger kid. I had no fear at all. And then in my preteens, I suddenly became aware that I could die on one of these things. I'm no longer immortal, and maybe it was seeing this movie that did it to me. Did that just remember. apply to roller coasters, or did that did you become more fearful generally? Is that a loaded question for this podcast? <laughs> uh, mostly roller coasters. I mean, into teenagehood and adulthood, I definitely became a more anxious person, but in terms of like realizing that things could like literally kill me it was mostly just roller coasters was it was it recognizing your mortality or just anxiety generally uh in this case it would be it would be mortality yeah right <laughs> it was just this idea especially in my small town it's not like i was going to disney world roller coasters right it's like roller coasters that are set up for True. two days and Those so I, I just thought the pleasure that i get the perceived pleasure that I get from like being thrust high into the air is not worth the yeah. fear of death. Well, you read the statistics and really there's more fatalities on water slides than there are <laughs> on water slides. You're sick though. Well, yeah, there's just a huge margin for air with, you know, water. Well, sure. You know, it's, it's the God's element. <laughs> so people say, but um, yeah, I'm, I wasn't really a big roller coaster guy either as a kid. I No, me neither. The, I, I'm trying to remember the name of the one that was at like the, circus or carnival that would have come to our town every summer it was scuffed as yeah fuck. also 
we they, it had a ride called like the zipper. Oh yeah, oh we had yeah, the that zipper. one. Was, Everybody has the zipper. That one looked so fucked. I never ne- did that. But did I, I swear there was one instance where like a door came open on one of them while it was going or something crazy like that. Like some wild shit. Yeah, was and going this one on, you man. got battered around. Yeah. inside one. Yeah, people looked like haggard and bruised coming out of that thing. Yeah, dude. Like it looked, it looked like a violent experience. That's just like you're traveling like county yeah, fair. Yeah, this was a. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was not a roller coaster guy either. Not on those or on anything larger. I, but the on the flip side to what you said, Liam, um, I did have experiences where I was at like Disney World or like Canada's Wonderland and like intentionally sitting them out because the prospect of doing it like just scared me. Like I was just like, nah, I got talked into one and it was at Disney World and it was the Aerosmith Rock and Roller Coaster. Yeah. Just partially indoors. That thing's gnarly. That thing is fucking i'm pretty sure some people have died on that one are you sure yeah i've i followed like a bunch of dark like youtube channels about about roller coasters and and just like amusement parks and just like the dark stuff behind it that happens in these big defunct really, land guy well that's not really the same that's more like the econ the the, the economics of uh of an amusement fu- of an amusement park excuse me um no, but like just like these dark YouTube channels, and to be like, what the fuck am I watching? This is so mis- this is so like miserable. This is lame, is but um, yeah, dude, roller coasters are fucking terrifying. So now I have like no intention of really getting into that because you just like yeah. I don't know, it's three a.m. and then you watch like some dark video about <laughs> a horrible roller coaster accident. Yeah, a kid getting shot into space by accident. <laughs> so like, someone on the Tower de- of Terror. Someone just getting decapitated on a roller coaster. <laughs> at least like, maybe not. If you're reading about that stuff in the middle of the night, you can at least take solace in the fact that like, oh, I'm not on a roller coaster I'm in my right bed. now. Yes, I don't so have I'm to. Be. Whereas no, I stay up late reading about like yeah. people who get their houses broken into when they get massacred. You, well, that they, too. They, I read yeah, about like, that the too. Strangers. <laughs> yeah. Um Liam's biggest, if you're ever going to scare Liam, Liam's biggest fear is getting the strangers. Yeah, I mean, speaking of, of never leaving. I don't know if that's true, but it might be close. Speaking of never leaving your house, if I was in this movie, if I was a character in this movie, I would never leave my house. But it, life finds a way. Yeah, there are many Death deaths in this franchise happen in people's houses. Can't escape true. it. True. Yeah. You know what's unfortunate, Leave too, the stove on. Um, For Mitch, yes, is that, yeah. you know how some people movie have one. like a race car shaped bed? The tough thing about him is he does have a roller coaster bed. Me? So it, if he is watching those at night, it does get a little bit harder to feel Never like you're not safe. Dude, coaster. that would have been a great twist in this movie where someone's like, I'm not leaving my house. The premonition says I'm going to die on a roller coaster. I'm not going anywhere. And then at the very end, the camera zooms out. He remembers that he has a roller coaster bed. <laughs> <laughs> and then he dies of a cardiac it zoom- arrest. It zooms out and then zooms in really fast, like on their reaction face. They're I- like, they're doing the Kevin McAllister Home Alone thing. You can build some really gross pickup lines lines around having a bed like that yeah yeah tell me more who wants to go for a ride Boo! <laughs> get off the stage um yeah this movie's this movie's fucking sick dude <laughs> this movie's great i guess i just realized i haven't like just come out and said it um yeah it was uh I was surprised at how well put together it was. Like, it feels very thoroughly considered. And, like, it's actually taking its premise fairly seriously. And the characters are reacting in ways that I, like, understand. I don't know if I, wait a minute, I, don't know if I agree. 
Like I feel like it, it But anyway keep going Keep going well, But I mean like Relative to expectation I guess right Where so are the, their parents <laughs> Who cares <laughs> Movies Fair. like this Never have parents in them. Um, But like I don't know It just It felt like A much more solidly Put together thing Than I would have anticipated For starters um, Aside from what we've already said Like the effects are I think really quite good And um, the scenes are really imaginative Like the deaths I should say Are really imaginative but like on a baseline level, like it's consideration of the this inevitability. And I think like in particular what it puts like Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character through, and maybe she's just like the best actor here, and that's elevating it to some extent. But like I thought I found that I was really like compelled by the rolling crisis that she's having of trying to do just anything about this, like just the scrog the straw grasping panic. Of like what the fuck can we do And like getting so involved As to potentially make it worse And then being like well I have to do that anyway Yeah and I, I loved all the references To her typically being That's like what a I was control freak Yeah like that that fact in and of itself Feels more considered than most movies And it's just such a tiny thing Yeah and they set it up like really casual And like I actually thought that the scene that we get With her and her boyfriend Where he's like trying to be like hey it's cool. It's just the one roller coaster. I know it's a, like that actually thought that seemed to me very like thoughtfully put together. And like yeah. the boyfriend feels like somebody who actually cares. And it's not just like Bleh. I agree, though. What did you think about him sitting at the front without her? Yeah, it was a little lame. Yeah, that's yeah, a bit that, of, that, that was the 2006 kicking in. Yeah. Yeah. But I do really love how he's after she has the premonition. And he's like, get me off this ride. I need to go yeah. see my girlfriend. And then the ride operators, for whatever reason, are like, no one else is getting off this ride. <laughs> you motherfuckers. Which I don't really understand, but I do love the uh, the hopelessness of that, that she just has to watch her boyfriend go. And I think it's cool, sort of like a, a psycho type thing, where to me, even though I've seen this movie a lot, I like I said, I had forgotten that the boyfriend was the one on the roller coaster who dies right at the beginning. Yeah. I think that's that's really cool to kill off those pe- two people who seemed like they're going to be main characters right at the beginning. Yeah. Well, I, I just had a wild idea. I would love to see a spin-off movie that's just like a law firm or whatever, and they're just litigating against all these different places like and, the companies and, or, and organizations where the deaths occur. <laughs> all their families are just making a fortune. That's what Bitch Warmers 2 is about, because he plays for a law firm baseball team. <laughs> that's a great idea. I've heard that the sixth one is going to be about like um, emergency responders, like paramedics and stuff. Ooh. So maybe yeah, they haven't been through enough. They need to be the victims of Final Destination yeah. movies now. So if they're going, if they're going there, maybe one step further is also that's the gonna lawyers. be that is the potential to be extremely gross. Gross. Yeah, because they're already dealing with like injuries and like maimings and right. Shit. Yeah, I guess that's that's the point. Um, yeah. I do like how you get the premonition and it's so drawn out and it's like rise and fall tension, whatever. And then when it actually happens, because they've already done that, they bring her outside and you see it sort of casually happen in the background. (laughs) Yeah. So um, you didn't know the hook of this movie. And Mitch, it sounds like you were a bit unsure as well. What did you guys think of that initial roller coaster death scene? Um in terms of execution and also were you surprised when it turned out that it was just in her head the note that i wrote just says and look this is going to sound a lot like my regular speaking voice if you can believe that 
you're you're about to make fun of me for using phrases I already use all the time. Um, <laughs> I did not know that those movies worked by having a premonition at first, and then it just fucking happens. That's fucking crazy. <laughs> Is what I wrote down. I was genuinely like, I was, I literally went like, whoa. Yeah. Like, I was, I was stunned. That's awesome. Because mm-hmm. there's so much, and like, the, the, the resource and energy expended on selling to the viewer the death scene you're seeing as happening is very thorough. And like people are like they're like people are getting fucking cut in half and people are getting like thrown out of things and then for it to just like like just like pull you out of it if you're not anticipating that it's really jarring. Yeah, like, I, I'm totally with you on everything beat for beat. I didn't expect it that sort of thing to happen, and I think that that whole conceit of of somebody uh, having these premonitions is dramatically interesting throughout the rest of the film because it's so because as well. not only are you do you see these things but you're actively bargaining with the people to try and get them out of it and i feel like that added drama adds to the suspense to such a great degree that just makes these movies so fun and, and you just you can't help but get into the with that aspect of of trying to persuade someone from not dying just because of like a harebrained premonition i totally agree i think it's a brilliant horror movie premise it's it's a typical horror movie premise that just tweaks things a little bit. Like most horror movies, you get a cold open kill. Um, this movie does that, but you get a cold open six kills. But then it's not just, it's not separate from the rest of the movie. It's actually what you're watching is the blueprint for the rest of the movie. It's also pre-installed stakes, like right out of the gate. Because you've already seen all of these people die already. And it's going to happen again. <laughs> Like, so you've, and I also think that they do a really smart job in vignette style using that carnival to like set up like, here's who's who in the relationship to each other and what the deal is. So then as you see it play out and people continue dying or they start trying to intervene with people, like the foundation's already set Mm -hmm. well, I think like the table placement's already done. And I feel like a lot of movies kind of brush that part off. It's sort of like what the weakness is with Ian's like heel turn is that I don't think the opening does enough to set up that that's a potential thing for them. They just seem like a well-meaning goth couple. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Um, more of an emo couple than a goth couple, but we're splitting hairs at that point. In 2006, it was a goth couple. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They I just listen to My Chemical Romance. <laughs> I, I, I totally agree with the way it sets things up. It feels like from the very beginning that this movie has a handle on itself and knows more than you do and is going to dish out that information on its own terms. Like, I love how you get introduced to everyone, but then we learn later on that uh Mary Elizabeth's character doesn't know where her sister sat on the roller coaster. Yeah. And that's a character we had met earlier, but then in in the hubbub we also we you, realize you, you oh we track. we don't know where she went either. Yeah. yeah, their own memory plays a plays a role in I it. I relate as well. to that deeply. Yes. <laughs> as a yeah, person who can't I, remember fucking shit ever. Also, I think the the sense of perspective in the sequences is really interesting too, and how cross cut, cross cutting between two separate things happens. Because it's one thing when like you're, the central character is there trying to persuade them out of it, but it's another thing when it, when the death is happening separately. Like take like the tanning bed sequence, and how it's is that whole thing is is intercut, um, and just sort of like the 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 hints. Um, 
and how one character is reacting to, to it while it's going on and sort of like the cosmic clues uh, coming in. I think it really lends itself to the to the build up and the suspense. Um, yeah. And I think the, the editing in that sequence is, is really fabulous too at the end with the side-by-side tanning beds and then the side-by-side coffins. Yes, there's such dude. a great Blackley comic streak that's that's with that suspense. And that, the and tanning sequence is like peak. Yeah. This movie's like, I think this movie excels significantly in that sequence in part because I think it does a good job of not just being like, oh, we have like ditzy, goofy characters. Macondra and McCrallis. Yeah. We're going to kill them. Whatever. Who cares? Like they've set up like these are just people. They're, they're tired of being harassed by misogyny, man. They just like hanging out. They they want to get like they're just doing people stuff. Like I think this movie does a good job of avoiding prat prat falls pitfalls of movies of that era of using its cynicism to just be like and girls are dumb. Am I right? And and hot girls fuck them because they're hot. Like they're just teenagers behaving normally. Where it's like if you're like we go here all the time. We know the guy. They'll let us in, whatever, but you're being a little bit flighty and irresponsible because you're just trying to get in there and do the thing. Like, the the standardness of of how they actually behave is a breath of fresh air in and of itself. And then to have it so well executed in the actual, like, death portion, I think, hikes it up a little bit. I think that there is, like, a... Uh a greater element too with the death being tied to their vanity. Yeah. That, that, you it's know. a two-way street for sure, but I just appreciated its like actual attempt to not just be like mean in a way that is purely sexist. Yeah, like, yeah, I don't think the film I think the film like definitely engages with some of that like early 2000s like gross shit. Right, where, but it's doing better than so many others do. I, th- I think and it's, I found it's, that it's kind done of with a sense of self-awareness, but pretty much every shot with of them is just sort of uh, it starts with a tilt from their ass up to their face. Yeah. But I also Honestly, less than you'd think though. They do it at least 3 times. I think Why were you counting? <laughs> I think that scene is is really haunting the way that they are they're treated. I don't read it as like a punishment for their vanity. Um I think it's really it's really sad. I think that they gave these characters a bit of extra heart um that lesser movies wouldn't have done when they right. when they inter, when they invite um yeah, I really well, like that. What's her? What's Mary Elizabeth's name Wendy. in the movie? They just Wendy. Did, they just go, and I mean, like they they add a joke to that scene by saying like we're so nice for doing that, but it's like they just go, oh, we should invite her to this thing. Let's do that, and like that's a genuinely oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're like they're that's just seem, a nice thing to do. They seem like perfectly okay like People. characters. But yeah, a lesser movie would just make them like ah, they're the bitchy that one. Yeah. yeah, it has it like I think slightly on the surf on maybe a surface level, but but I I think it yeah it does go to, to yeah. deeper lengths. So I think with how they're maybe depicted and filmed and photographed, I think it might be another. I should story. say that in the microphone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So having them invite Wendy sort of subverts your expectations as to how you think these characters are going to be treated based on how they've been uh, shot throughout the movie, and then. So when Wendy is starting to pick up on uh, what might be happening to them and desperately trying to contact them, all of a sudden it makes it really suspenseful because we care about these characters. They're not just yeah. they're not just yeah. uh, and that is benefited from more by also the stuff like the carnival setting a baseline and then they add to it 
they add a layer of them being just like kind yeah and then like the way that it establishes like it does that with each person like it establishes a little bit of why you would be invested in this person having this experience yeah formally the the film is saying one thing narratively it's saying another but i i I do think the like narratively i think it's redeeming like i think with how they're photographed it kind of dips into that 2000s cheese and sleaze but uh, their actual characters are, are really great sleaze whiz if you will um but all the deaths are definitely related to their characters in some ways, or a lot of them are. Yes, uh, yeah, and I love that. Like, let's from the other end of the spectrum, we'll get uh, Lewis's character, sure. who, who is not redeemed throughout the movie. He's he's an asshole up until the moment he dies, and the oh, difference. That kill is- <laughs> it's great oh me and my friends used to quote that all the time the line that he's right beforehand i just win i just win <laughs> boom um and I, I i i wrote a comic when i was a kid and the the hook of the comic was at the end of every strip the the main character died in some way okay and i must have cribbed it from final destination and in fact i cribbed a bunch of deaths from like i i totally ripped off the lewis kill um and i i love the way that you winning that i love the way that lewis's kill is juxtaposed with uh the tanning bed kill because the tanning bed one is very slow and and painful um i think it's the most visceral kill in the movie you're watching them suffer and i think um because we've been uh given some time with those characters and they've been given some kindness it feels really awful and we want wendy to get to them um and i love how they keep cutting to that tube that's holding the door open and the the lotion is just squeezing out as sort of a an illustration of how an hourglass device yeah yeah Yeah. so that is just feels so sad and tragic whereas lewis where they're setting up all these little clues as to the the Rube Goldberg machine. How is he going to get got? But when it happens, it happens very suddenly. Um, yeah, going to be sold. which which feels like it 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 matches his character. Whereas where the tanning bed one, I don't think you're supposed to be having a whole lot of fun. Um, but no, it's it's grim. To Lewis's, watch. which happens so suddenly, it happens, and you kind of have permission to laugh because he's been an asshole the whole time. Yeah, but I think like that one's definitely tied to his like I think like his hu- his hubris. Um, so yeah, they, they all have like something to do with with like character flaws, maybe. Sorry. <laughs> just sawing the fucking thing. He's been sawing that chandelier for ages. We're watching Phantom of the Opera on the laser disc. I'm sorry. I made it. We made it most of the way without referencing it. But the way he was just frantically sawing that fucking chandelier was very funny. Um, Final Destination. Um, I also do like that. To your point, Majority, where you said, like, where are their parents? I actually kind of like that they seem so isolated. I do, too. I don't think the film would really work if you if you overwrote it and made too much stuff in between the kills. Yeah, like I think even, it's so easy to clutter a movie like this yeah. with bullshit when they know what their audience wants yeah, like by even, the third movie. Even Wendy's house is essentially one room. It's her room, right? One other person occasionally enters it, and then they go to a handful of other locations. But it's very, like, reserved. And I think yeah. that that helps you focus on like the things that are happening and it helps them focus the movie on establishing like the stakes given because like there's a portion of the movie where you go from like kill scene to kill scene to kill scene to kill scene like all in a row 
and if they yeah if they were having interstitials where it was like and now wendy's dad is here to talk about like yeah. safety or I, d- I don't think that like the film needs something like that but i think like it, it just like lends itself to the fact that it's like not i think too much of like like if, if it were like going the serious drama route i feel like they would be pulled in yeah. but instead the film doesn't concern itself with that yeah and i think that was the right decision especially when some of the kills start getting like sillier or like stranger like the drive-through one's really odd again it has to do with that guy just being an asshole yeah but like it's odd in that like the setup is that they're in a drive-through and then somebody blocks them in and then the dump truck might hit them so then they gotta move and then they get out but then he's in the car and then he won't move and like like it's so many steps i love it like i see that's one of so many things have to happen for that exact outcome to happen like Right, and that's the, the, that idea of destiny, right? The butterfly effect. Yeah. Just uh, one thing begets the other. Also, and He gets like a rotor out of an engine in like the back of his head or something. Like. Yeah, yeah. And I love the way it ties into the pictures from earlier. Um, and yes, I, I, my favorite death scenes in these movies, I think, are the ones where a series of events just keeps happening and keeps happening and the tension is ratcheting up and you think you know where the death is going to come from and then it comes from somewhere else. Um, And uh, the fifth one, uh, as a teaser, because I think we should revisit more of these, has my favorite example of that. It's uh, involving a gymnast. Okay. Just for anyone who's seen oh, those. Oh, God. Um, I can already picture and the it ways is, in which that might go poorly. It's just incredible, like, suspense uh, setup and payoff stuff, and I, I, I love it in this movie. It's so good. I do also think that, that one is interesting because they're driving away from a previous death scene, and then another one just happens I know, yeah, they're still like, in their clothes. Yeah, like, they just had to talk to the cops, like, do you need a ride home? No, we're good. I can take them home. And then they go there, and it immediately... Yeah. Like, and an- and, it's uh, relentless. And it's another one that happens suddenly and it gives you permission to be like, oh, fuck. That, was, yeah, that dude just got fucked. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's 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 very interesting to to do it that way. Whereas um, maybe maybe my favorite kill scene in the movie is the nail gun one with Aaron. Yeah, I was going to say that's that's exactly like the same ratcheting up of like And I yeah, and I think that one ends up being terribly sad, and I think I don't think it's a coincidence that Aaron is a character that is has been a lot more sympathetic throughout the movie, and so when it happens, it really dwells on it and it feels very real. You're kind of seeing her react as these nails are yeah. pushed through her skull and you can see the life drain out of her and it it feels very very sad and i think that setup is a good reason to turn ian's character um yeah but i still don't buy i still yeah yeah, i don't think it sells it Um, but i think how how that particular sequence works in relation to like the photos that are taking the found footage element if you will um where all the clues are there for what's going to happen the gun the Mm -hmm. the everything and uh when it happens it still manages to surprise it's so great. Also, that one is just like, you, on the one hand, you picture like somebody essentially like Pratt falls backwards into a nail gun. In theory, that is funny, right? Like if you it's if, the Marx if, Brothers. If shit. you explained the whole bit, yeah, and you didn't see it, you'd be like, that sounds kind of funny. But seeing it, you're right. It's like it's like it's just depressing. It's you don't laugh. Yeah, like it's yeah. And there I, are elements of the movie where you do laugh. It's more of like movie, a oh. <laughs> yeah. And I do think the movie yeah. is at certain points trying to make you laugh, and it's very aware of its tone 
and like the campiness that can come with that. If it is tied into like the, their vanity being like, it's not me, the one who dies, it's you. Yeah. And then just gets bisected. Yeah, but you know, but that one is, <laughs> yeah, that one's grim, man. Yeah. It is, and it, it does the, the that great thing. It's a trick of these movies where a thing happens that it seems like it would kill you and they manage to get out of the way um, and you think they're free and then uh, something else happens. They do the same thing with Lewis. And, and it's funny because um, you'd think you'd get used to that and you just don't. <laughs> yeah, it really is brilliant. I mean, I love hearing you guys say that the opening sequence surprised you because... Um, like by the time I saw this movie, I I I think I think I had seen at least uh, the second one, and so I knew the premise of the movies. But if you haven't seen these movies, I love that you can pick up at any of the movies and have that same experience of oh, that was just in their head. It's a bit of a Scream Four scenario for me. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I'm really excited for you guys to see the other ones because I think this is a, a really a really solid franchise. Um, but yeah, I really love the character work in this one. Just to put a pin in my problem and just say it outright, I think the character of Ian, I love the performance. I really like that actor and I like how he plays it when he shows up at the fair and he's like done his full heel turn. Yeah. I, I love the staging of it, the blocking where the camera is kind of low and he's wearing like uh, particularly like kind of like angsty clothing he looks very disheveled and he's his eyes are just fixed on wendy um i just don't buy the turn because they give him such a moment earlier at the funeral where he's talking about how it isn't fair that the two friends died in the tanning bed to the plight of people he ostensibly should not like based on like high school stereotypes yes you it humanizes everybody yeah, in and that moment, but in particular, just his like, because he's not like, he's not doing a bit, and it's not angst. Like he's just angry, mm-hmm. like, angry and sincere and sympathetic, and um, and I think that is not what you would expect from that character, just based on the way they look. That it's a uh, 2006 goth people, and so I really like that. And so then, um. I just feel like his character does a total shift and if it was just the his girlfriend's death that changed him, I could buy that, but I think he actually changes beforehand in that whole warehouse scene. Um he's being very dismissive and he's shooting pigeons with a nail gun. Um and it just seems like and he's talking about how death is an inevitability. Yeah, and it so does kind of come out of no it, it's it almost seems like two if, different characters. Yeah, it does almost seem as though they like as if in an earlier draft maybe that speech didn't go to him yeah at the funeral and then it ended up there mm-hmm. um even because even if you just had like her give it aaron give it that would make a lot more sense like because like it it opens the the window for the heel turn a little more smoothly because we haven't set a precedent it adds to her death with the loudest car outside in the world that's ever existed. Um, and then it underscores all of it sort of in the genuine, how genuine the reaction actually is. Yeah. I love that. I think that's actually a perfect fix and it's really my only, um, issue with this movie is the handling of that character. Cause I like him in the isolated scenes, yeah. But just in relation to each other, it just doesn't doesn't really pay off for me. 
I think uh, we should bring back voicemail messages where somebody says, hello? Psych. <laughs> Dude, my my uh, good friend in, in high school had one of those. I don't know if he still does because I, I we don't call as Can much we call anymore. Him? We're texters. <laughs> Can we try to get his voicemail? I bet he would pick up. We'd be doomed. Ah, oh, you're two good friends. Yeah. Um, but at least until senior year of high school, he still had it. But he had recorded it before he hit puberty. And it would still trick changed. me. <laughs> he didn't change it, and it would still trick me. Like, you just knew that voice was him. In your head, that voice is just him always. Yeah, yeah. I hope he still has it, because, like, what, he's in his mid-20s? Yeah. God, I hope he still has it. That'd I know, so right? funny. Yeah. Because at a certain point, if he keeps that lineup, people are going to start thinking it's, like, his child. His partner is pregnant. Folks. <laughs> Maybe he was just it setting was it up fate. the long Final con. destination. <laughs> Recording a voicemail message into your phone. Um, so I want to know what Mitch thought of that Ian character because it ends up being a pretty big thrust. He's kind of there for the climax. Thrust climax. He's he's kind of there for the big explosion. He's kind the of end. there for one of his bodily fluids come out of it. <laughs> I think his death is pretty great. His death it is, is great with the the sign falling on him. Mm-hmm. But or, does it be getting dragged around by a horse? Oh, that's such a good one too. It's a good one. Yeah, she, and well, she lives. right right into the rake. That would have been good. Yeah. I can't believe that girl really quick uh, just gets a flag. <laughs> and that's... that's just gets flagged. And I think that's another example of it's how this sick. movie is sort of like one step ahead of you where you think you know the format. Everyone who's going to die is someone you're familiar with. And then it's like, oh, no, there was, then, a, there was a friend sitting next to yeah. her. And yeah. as soon as you friend. know about her, boom. Yeah. Uh, a, a colonial, like, 4th of July style fair like that is such a good setting for a film like this just there's so many different yeah, that things. was I an mean, inspired choice by the writers truly i mean the ben franklin musk muskets cannons uh fireworks fireworks there's just so many different blacksmiths Patriotism. Like, so many different ways it could go um Michelob that Archers. yeah it was just an inspired choice for that that whole sequence uh, yeah, and how they're narrowly keeping Kevin alive because they know it's Kevin's and turn. And security there too. It's like fuck. That's another like if you security look- fucking they wrangle the horse, don't untie her, and then let the horse go again. It's like the stupidest thing. Those two fucking go. Also, really quick, I'm sorry, but I really find it interesting how they set up that the cops appear to be getting suspicious, but we never deal with them directly. Like, we don't get the scene of them, like, getting the big lights in their eyes and, like, the interrogation and the cops being like, you're doing this. You're some fucked up kid who's on the internet too much or whatever. Like, they just go, like, nope, the cops are going to go try to stop that horse now. And you don't, you never get that. That's, like, a really interesting choice, too. Yeah, because it's, it's it's death, right? It's fate. It's beyond the police. The police can think they're onto it, but they don't know. They ain't. You all right, Mitch? Well, he looks for that. I do. I'll just add Fr- uh, Frankie Cheeks at the first funeral is so funny. I think it's the first funeral. Maybe. No, it might be the tanning funeral when he d- realizes that women are people because he is sad that they died. <laughs> and oh, that yeah. makes him personally feel bad. <laughs> like is the fact that like the fact that it had the ability to make him sad means that they're human beings is such a fucking funny reveal. Um. While he's looking for that, I'll just say one other... My backup quote, if I somehow got scooped on the PSP thing... There was no possible way we could scoop you. You're well, first. You, you could have usurped me. You could have just said it. I wouldn't dare. You could have, though. 
Um, it's a twofer. It's a shit. I forgot my iPod. Sucks, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's really great. good. That's Shout great. out to Ashley and Ashlyn. They should have done the recess thing of just they're all named Ashley. Mm, the Ashleys. Yeah. Dude, imagine a recess adaptation, but it's final, final destination, destination crossover. Your final recess. Just taking out all that cast of kids. That yeah. would be incredible. Yeah, we should. Yeah. Where's the playground death scene? And you can do in animation, dude. You can do anything. You can do whatever you want. That's got some huge potential. Um, also, uh, I like that death can haunt the radio seeming for some reason right like it always like changes it scrambles the signal and you can like hear stuff yes that's like the most directly supernatural it really gets and i yeah. just thought that was interesting yeah i think and i think the use of little sounds and music like that ends up being really haunting in this movie we, we skipped over it a bit but the use of the song love roller coaster and tanning bed because yeah, they, they don't have, uh, they can't listen to music elsewhere, so they find a CD they put on Love Roller Coaster. And do you guys know about the urban legend of Love Roller Coaster? Not at all. No. So the song Love Roller Coaster, there's um, a scream that's heard in the song. And uh, there was a popular urban legend that I always knew about as a kid that the scream, there, there are many theories. One theory was that um, the scream that you hear in the recording was someone being murdered outside of the studio and the studio mics picked it up. That's bad soundproofing in the studio if that's true. Another, That'd be th- crazy, another theory was that the band killed someone in the studio. Uh, Seems and, less likely. And had been picked up. And another theory was that it was audio taken from a roller coaster crash where someone died and they decided to put, put in that the in the song. And so th- them using this love roller coaster song. It's like double meaning. Yeah, it, it all, of course, relates to the roller coaster theme in the movie. But then if you know that little urban legend backstory, it gives it a bit more sinisterness. That's cool. It's a much better song than the fucking song at the end of this goddamn movie. <laughs> the love train? That song is ass, The, the original version's great. That song's Tommy Lee's love train is big time ass. And I'm not afraid to say it. The end of this movie is fascinating. Um, the The shot of Mary Elizabeth Winstead's face after the second premonition is so fucking gutting because it's just like the like all like tears but not crying, but just like you're just like panicking immediately and just like but you're stuck in a fucking train. Like, what are you gonna do? Like, yes, it's so. It's I, I I was also just surprised that the movie went there because I didn't know like I I did kind of anticipate a happy ending. Yeah, and it's, you just don't get. It's totally that. one of those. It, like it feels like it's inspired by those old dark magazine tales. Um, and I think the movie stops being fun in that last scene. It, yeah, I think no, it's horrifying. Yeah. Fun. It's purely grim. Like um, it's purely the rat that connects the, the circuit. The fucking rat. Oh, dude. Yeah, and the fact that it's a second premonition i i had forgotten about that so i got the experience you guys had yeah. at the beginning where it's revealed that it's a premonition either way they're dying God, also um, kevin's death getting like squeezed up against the wall yeah fuck terrible dude. and um and i just love the way that it it just all is gradually unfolding in that scene where it's like oh it's all right nothing will happen to you sis until something happens to me 
and then uh, also unless something happens to Kevin and then they see that Kevin's on the train and she's starting to realize that um, there might be something up and um, I just I think it's really one of the scariest ideas I can imagine and that's why these movies are so good they tap into that fear of like uh you can you can do everything right you can play it safe you can look over your shoulder um and still you could die in any number of ways yeah like nobody does the wrong thing and nobody deserves it and it's not Bagul, and it's not like a demon, and it's just like, it is much scarier to me that there is no impetus for this other than because. Yeah. Just fate becomes more dogged and accelerated. Right. It's just like, oh. Terrifying. Like, yeah, you decide to, like, d- brush it off once, and it's like, bet. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, like, I will, f- uh, you thought we were done here? newsflash yeah you would like never want to meet those people again like just the idea of all those people being in the same place at once knowing the conditions that exist around them just a terrifying idea you would never want to meet those people be like you stay on that corner of the country and i'll stay on this corner of the country and uh if you go (laughs) i go yeah i go elsewhere and life just still still might find a way i mean it really is a natural human oh. thing i think to wonder what i can't believe they used a picture of 9-11 in one of the photos yeah and abraham lincoln that was hilarious that was crazy what a weird example to give yeah but I th- the link the lincoln one is a stretch in its own right and then just having a shot of like a shadow of a plane is like just fucking insane I think that was meant to be taken seriously at the time is how I read it like right. the way the scene is presented now. but now it seems campy and I'm okay with it like I I I think it works for that character to be like she is so convinced and caught up in this that uh it could be anything that she's gone into like conspiracy theory 911 <laughs> yeah it does play a little differently now and I do think I like that that's there to balance out what we were just talking about like how how grim the theming actually is. It's nice to have something that can sort of be played a little bit differently tonally. Um, or a good old-fashioned split diopter shot. We do get one of those. We do. I, I try to point those out now every time we see them. It's cool. It feels a bit pointless, though. It is because it's just her and her sister. Yeah. Just, it's like we know that they're like united together. <laughs> they're related. You don't need to show them both in focus together. Yeah, but it is cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is a really clever movie. Um I just love that there's all these breadcrumbs and um, I love all the fake outs and payoffs. It just feels it. I think the fun is just, is just contagious. There is a question I want to ask you, which one's your favorite in the franchise? If you haven't said so already, I don't think I've said, and I don't know that I know because I really, I liked this one even more than I remembered going back. So I'm really stoked on these movies right now. I think I'm I'm gonna do a a watch through of mm. of all of them even before we get to more, which I want to do. But um, I'll say this: the the first one does a really great job at setting it up, and is a really cool kind of teen mystery movie. But it doesn't have the campiness that this one has, which I like. The second one to me doesn't have the characters that I'm drawn to, but it has some really great death scenes. The fourth one, 
from my recollection, the kills are very sloppy. Um, it doesn't feel nearly as considered in terms of its scripting. It's 3D, so it's a lot mm. of CGI. So it's a victim of like the 3D craze. And even mm. in 2009 in the theater, I was like, this looks bad. 2009 is almost bordering on I, a little bit late for that, too. I think I remember hearing it about that movie when it came out. I remember people saying that that it didn't visually compare to the yeah, others. Yeah, it's not pra- yeah. a lot of it isn't practical. This movie w- looks pretty good. It, it looks does. excellent. Yeah. It does. Um I would love to revisit that fourth one, but as far as I can tell it is definitely the the uh the least well regarded and then the fifth one blew me away, but I've only seen it the one time. So blew me away like the ending of, in the pan. The so it it has this gymnast scene that I'm talking about and the ending of number 5 you guys crazy damn that's all i gotta see it um sorry and and how many are there there's five there is five so so i'd say so it didn't peak early and then peter out like it's got no no i mean it it seemed like it was going to peter out with a fourth one and then they they brought it back on track with the fifth nice um but i think maybe my favorite right now i'll say it's i'll say it's this one because i had such a good time with it it is interesting to consider Mm. how had we ultimately watched four instead and if it is worse generally like the consideration that i might have for the series as a whole would be completely different i think so like i've always found that element of doing this show interesting is like this colors how we will watch any of these ever after this yeah because like i'm about to probably watch one tonight and i don't know which one i should watch and all it's not like you should watch five no no because that ending goes bananas he says no mitch you got to start at the beginning i'm telling you Makes sense. Um, and honestly, the more I'm playing through the first in my head, the first feels quite different because the formula was not established yet. It's a bit more subtle, um, but it feels more like a like a cool blockbuster movie in that like um, it has a really big like it feels more like an adventure, like an adventure climax. Mm-hmm. So that first one might be my favorite as well, and it's just so grim, man. Yeah, they're they're great. I would I would totally recommend you guys watch them, but um they do build on each other, so I would I would say watch them in order for sure. Right. This notwithstanding. Yeah, you're all right. But if you had seen the fifth one first, you'd have issues. You'd be fucked. It's it's like it's more referential. Mm-hmm. Okay, I understand. Shall we find out what we're watching next week? Yeah. That won't be Final Destination related, yeah. presumably. Is it you? <laughs> No, it's me. It feels like it should be me. I'm going to be honest here. <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm just in your house. It's You know what's funny? The second I said it, I went, I'm wrong. No, dude, you, you, you did Naked Gun. I literally... Oh, fuck. What? Yeah, because yeah, yeah, you, you did Dennis the Menace. I did Naked Gun. We had our special episode, and now there's this one. It's funny. The second I Chaz, said it... And- Chaz is punching the air right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I said you it. can tell them it's in alphabetical order all no, you want yeah, I said but... it and then I was like oh wait no it's alphabetical order and then I went no M L and then I was like no that's not right like, and, just... and we also talked earlier in the episode about how I was debating between two movies to pick and you made your bagool guess I just can't wrap my head around oh, the right. you, that was to, that you was... didn't this is such a Liam pick what? 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 why are you laughing this much look you can't say I've not always been like this I know. Has I it, know I can. Serious question. Has it gotten worse? 
my inability to remember things. I don't know that it's gotten worse. Or does it just I come think up more? no. I think it's just amazing that it hasn't gotten better. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. Yeah. Um. Okay. So yeah, I w- I was pretty sure I knew what I was gonna pick for next week. Um. And I w- I guess I won't say what it is because I don't want anyone to be upset that I'm not picking it. But I'll I'll get to it later, and I'm excited about it. Um, but the other thing I wanted to pick, I just kind of had a craving today Ooh. for like a Blumhouse type modern horror movie, as opposed to what I was going to pick. Is that Bagul? Is now Blum- that you is guys, Bagul Blumhouse. Bagul is is also not in- Insidious. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that to yeah. If Bagul, <laughs> I don't care. If Bagul were Insidious, it wouldn't be Blumhouse. But Bagul is Blumhouse. Because is there even a sequel to the Bagul movie? Yes. Yeah. yeah. There is. I there haven't is. seen it. They made another one. <laughs> did they, in fact? They did, yeah. So what I'm going to pick for next week, we're going to f- f- visit Bagul. And, uh, we are Bagooling? Mitch and I can talk about the original Bagooling. Oh, sure. I can't wait. We're going to watch Sinister 2. Does, does Ethan Hawke Bagool in that one? No, I don't think Ethan Hawke is in this one. Then get him back. No. Okay, I'm finally going to figure out what Bagool is. Is it a scary face? Uh, Mitch? Do you have anything you want to plug? There's really just something missing. Oh. Hold that thought. Just take a lot more build-up in person to see what he might end up doing. Do you want us to narrate? He's opened a large chest. Uh, Liam, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Well, I have a film writing alter ego on uh, Twitter and letterboxed. <laughs> My username is Graham the Mallow. Still unchanged. Yeah. Right. We'll see what Hold happens. Hold him with that for a while. For a little while, it's been it's been a few years now. It's been a few years of Graham the Haunted Marshmallow. Might be time to retire it soon. We shall reveal that I've been Mr. Corey Price the entire time. I'm Bagul. I am the pastel heart. It Uh, was me all along. That's my favorite documentary about the making of Apocalypse Now. Um, (laughs) uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter and just Twitter, actually. At a pastel heart. It's also that's also my Instagram handle, but it's locked and you're not getting in. Take that, nerds. Um My letterbox is still Mr. Corey Price. Can't change that one. So stuck for that for now. But uh we're we're working on it. I'm gonna petition Mr. Boxed and uh, see if we can maybe get to the bottom of that one. Mrs. Box, do we know? Who runs Letterboxd? Please, Mr. Box was my father's name kind of thing can i please box thank you all once again for listening to this episode of they made another one uh you can find us all over the internet on instagram at they made another we have an instagram uh you can see what we look like you can see what we look like if you don't know we we are not cartoon drawings kind of look like the cartoon drawings. we kind of look we look more like the cartoon drawings recently than we ever have because they were updated to look more like us than they ever have thank you very much jay that was very kind um 
we're gonna be putting like clips and pictures and stuff up there. We're gonna figure it out. We are no longer on the bird website. It's very bad. Um, we are on Letterbox. That TMAO theoretically has not been updated in a while. It'll probably take a couple hours to catch up if we ever decide to do that. Uh, you can listen to episodes on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, and every other podcast service in existence. Uh, find us at they made another one. You can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and your pitch for a good final destination kill scene. Get creative. Our fantastic thumbnail art, which you saw a special remix of last week, is done by Jade Dickinson. You can find it on Instagram at Jade Sketches. And with all that out of the way, it's uh, Bagul time. Next week, and they made another one. Big ghoul.